Coming up this week, off screen. Marky Mark sands the Funky Bunch sets off for mile 22. Gaspar Noe brings his latest to a climax. Jables has a clock in the walls. We meet Matangi, Maya and MIA. Donald Gleason meets a little stranger. And Agnes Varda takes us to Faces Places. All of us to come and more, off screen. This is... This is off screen. Off screen. The latest film news and reviews. This is Offscreen, the Movie Marker Radio Show and Podcast. Ooh, welcome to Offscreen. I'm Van Connor. I am Case Allen. Welcome back, Hello. Mr. Allen. So, fun times Yo. in the film world. There's film news, there's film reviews. Yeah. There's... Oh, it is a film news. There's loads. There's loads. We actually have news for like had two or three weeks where nothing's really happened. <laughs> yeah, it's been a pretty dry few weeks, yeah. I think. And then it all um, came at once. It all came at once. Yeah. And, and we got like a Captain Marvel trailer out of it, too, which was pretty uh, nice. Oh, it was amazing. It was good, wasn't I it? I can't wait. I, I can't either. So, uh, we need uh, a piece of film news to kick us off this week. Like you say, it's been an exciting week. What have you got for me, sir? Mm. Uh, we have got a Bond 25 director. We've this got a this Bond happened 25 a couple of hours ago. Wait, is this yet another name on that ever ongoing shortlist? <gasps> you know it isn't. It is not, is it? <laughs> no. 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 Um, <laughs> Kerry Fuganauer. Of uh, uh, a true detective. Yes. Right. But it, he and wasn't. Beast of No Nation. And he was going to do it, wasn't he? He and was going to do it, and then he did not do it. He did not do it. Isn't he still credited as a producer on it? I think. I think so. I think something like that. But uh, I would love to have seen his version of it, but I still love the one we got. Yeah, I I would not change that. No. But um, he wasn't on the list. He wasn't on the shortlist, but they kept telling people about... (laughs) Bart Layton yeah. was getting more traction than, yeah. uh, than uh, Kerry Fukunaka. Yeah, but I'm I'm fine. I always say Fukunaka. It's Fukunaka. Fukunaga, isn't it? Oh, is it Fukunaga? Fukunaga. Fukunaga. Okay, I I'm gonna I'm gonna have to phonetic- Wallace. Okay, I will phonetically learn to pronounce the name of the director of Bond Twenty Five. Yeah. Do we know yet whether Saeed Tagmawi is still the villain? They've they've not said, but they have oh. said that. We've now got a release date. It's only <gasps> it's only slightly later than what it was originally planned. Two months, say three. Yeah, I believe it's like three months. It was supposed to be in November. Is it now going to be beginning of the year? It's that... now going to be Valentine's Day, twenty twenty. Huh. So, yeah, okay. so that, that means that they're going to be shooting pretty soon. Still, oh god. So that's fine. Hang on, a Valentine's Day opening James Bond film. Yeah. Might this be the time they finally, finally wheel out the title? Kiss, kiss, bang, bang. Than oh. Shane Black sue somebody. Well, Shane, well the, the title did kind of have was when more linked Shane, to Shane Black Bond, Bond first. I'd love yeah. to see Shane Black Blonde. Uh, Shane Black Blonde. Uh, Shane Black Blonde. I, has has Shane Black ever been blonde? I don't think so. Well, we just have to call him Shane Blonde. <laughs> Shane Blonde. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, podcast edition we got a plug as well. Um, so if you want the full and extended version of this show with more news, more, uh, more reviews, all the good stuff that we couldn't fit into the radio edit, um, it will be after the end credits. You can find that in the podcast edition. You should on about 25-30 minutes to be honest and then we cap it all off with a moment of cage because we like to send you off with a smile and you can find that on Acast, mm-hmm. iTunes oh sorry it's not like iTunes anymore it's Apple Podcasts yeah. now isn't Apple it? Apple Podcasts it's is that, Apple is that Podcasts yeah. is, is that, has it changed on my phone? I, I think it's just podcasts. On it your is phone. still just podcasts. Yeah, so it's Apple Podcasts, yeah. Acast, TuneIn, Deezer, pick all, podcast, all, the, all the stuff. Have you just just speaking of Nick Cage? Have you seen the GQ video that got not, put up the other day? Not only have I, 
our moment of cage this week oh, is from it? that. Uh, our moment of cage amazing. this week is the is the opening moment of that video because it's a oh he does like the little intro for, yeah yeah it's a great intro oh, it's isn't great it? it's that, it's a really good video it is twenty minutes it goes through vampires kiss <laughs> face of just so Look, many amazing you realize performances. by telling people that this exists you're basically yeah. just spoiling the twenty five moments of cage we could have gotten out of this without anyone noticing yeah I'm fine I'm fine with that. <laughs> you're not gonna be around that's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> you're just bur- you're just sinking this shit before you get off aren't you burn bridges <laughs> leave a mediocre corpse right we've got to do a review somewhere what is the first review this week we did the the house with a clock in its walls let's do it okay are you aware of this film at all because I, I am thought I, was, I haven't seen I it yet I do want to watch it um, it looks goose bumpy right okay. but with Eli Roth the obvious thing right you've picked up on two points there actually um, firstly yes Jack Black being the star of it does mm. give it a certain goosebumpsy like tone and he does play that same kind of kind of a role and yes this is directed by Eli Roth and if you're wondering does that mean Lorenza turns up yes yes she does is that, is that his missus? That's his wife, yeah, who keeps turning up in was every she, film. Was she in about Knock Knock? She was Keanu. in Knock Knock. Yeah, she was the one who wasn't Anna Diarmas. Yeah, because you know when you watch right. that film, you're like, I wonder which one of these two is going to be the breakout. <laughs> and I kind of <laughs> had money on Lorenza, mm. to be honest, but it, it did turn out to be uh, Anna. Uh, right, so The House of the Clock and Its Walls, which is based on um, a, a, a quite a, style, a stylized novel, I think, from the 70s. Mm. Um, it follows a young orphan named Lewis Barnevelt, who is played by Owen Vaccaro, who you might remember as the son from, I think, Bad Mums. You know, the, the sort of cutesy little dorky son... In, yeah, you know the the one who likes the girl, and he's supposed to punch her or something because Mel Gibson tells him to. I forget, but anyway, he is a young orphan. Mel, Mel, what? Mel Mel Gibson? You said by mums. Oh, oh, sorry, no, the the, the, the other one, the, the other one. one. Am I thinking dad of Daddy's one. Home? Yeah, am I thinking is of that, the Dad one? Is he the kid from Daddy's Home? He might be the kid from Daddy's Home. The both terrible films. Oh, they're both terrible sequels. <laughs> they're both, yeah, they're both terrible sequels. I have more time for Daddy's Home than I do Bad Mom's Christmas, but never mind. Okay, so, um, right, back to the point. Owen Vaccaro is a young orphan, Louis Barnevelt, um, whose parents meet their tragic demise. He is sent to live with his mum's estranged, uh, estranged brother, played by Jack Black, who has this big, creepy-ass house. Massive gothic, straight out of a Tim Burton movie house, but a bit more colourful. Mm. And every night, the walls tick, and the paintings move, and something's not quite right in this house. Here is a clip of Jack Black trying to cover up that little fact. Don't I have to have dinner before I'm allowed to have cookies? Well, why not just eat cookies for dinner? They're far more delicious. I know, it's just, we have these house rules. Well, not in this house. There's no bedtime, bath time, or meal time. You can eat cookies till you throw up for all I care. You'll see. Things are quite different here. I, I had a lot of fun with this, to be honest. I went in... I no, think it looks like yeah. a lot of fun. Well, I didn't know about the Eli Roth thing. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> well, you didn't know that he directed it. I did not know that Eli Roth had directed this. I was I sat. I told you about it. I was sat on a Saturday morning screening with notebook on my lap, pumpkin spice latte in hand, and I was, just, <laughs> I was putting the the notes in the the, the release date in the directory in my notes. And I, was, I looked it up on IMDb five minutes before this film started, and it says Eli Roth. I went, uh-huh. I went. People can do anything with IMDb these days. Like you can really put anything. <laughs> yeah. on and. And then I noticed, uh, I noticed, uh, I think it was a cinematographer, someone that had worked with Eli Roth before. I was like, oh, okay, so it really is an Eli Roth film. And uh-huh. um, yeah, okay, so weird thing here. The, it's not got any of his hallmarks in there at all. There's, it feels as detached from the Eli Roth personality that we know mm. as Death Wish did. 
the other Death Wish remake that was, uh, what, yeah. four months ago? Yes, yeah, so he, yeah. he must have shot these like back to back. You get that impression, but it does. Yeah. It, a lot more effort did go into this very visibly. There's a great production design in there. Looks like Amblini. It has. It is something of that '80s fantasy thing mm. with a bit of Lemony Snicket thrown in, because obviously you've got the obvious influence with the orphan child being sent to live with mm. the, a strange relative, and of course magic has to play an element. He uh, Jack Black's got um, this brilliantly sassy BFF who's. I won't tell you her backstory. She was played by Kate Blanchett. Kate Blanche. Yeah, and I'm just going to tell you, if they stuck Kate Blanche just front and centre on the trailer, which is her black background, in costume, and she, because she plays it not entirely unlike Hella from Thor, mm. <laughs> Thor Ragnarok, <laughs> said the Dark World there. If it had just been her in her costume from this movie with a black background saying, I'm going to play a sassy something for, you know, 90 minutes, mm. that would have just sold me the movie there and then. Yeah, I'd, you, have, I'd have watched that. Yeah, if you then had really? directed by Eli Roth at the end of that yeah i would be so baffled i i would immediately have seen it but uh, <laughs> you know um it does feel like eli roth here if he's trying to make any kind of conscious effort with the style and the look of the film he's trying to go tim burton uh, which is an interesting choice because i wouldn't never ever never have put those two as influences on each other in any well, way it kind of though. looks like that what was the last tim burton the miss peregrine uh, the Miss Peregrine Home, it has a lot yeah. of that feel, Which yeah. I missed, actually. It was, mm. Yeah, I should, you, I, should, I should watch that. Did you catch it on, not catch it on Now TV? No, I, I missed it when it was on, oh, so right. I'll have to try to track it down. Um, they played the hell out of that. <laughs> yeah, and I, I, and, and I heard that it was pretty decent. It was just quite fun. It was pretty good, yeah, it was pretty yeah. good. Um, no, I liked it, I think, when it came out. But this, a very much same kind of tone. Um, I, I did have an observation that I thought was very strange about it, which was, uh, actually, if this had turned out to be the We Want to Market a Harry Potter spin-off, an American audience, this would kind of made a better one than Fantastic, Fantastic Beasts. Beasts. It's set in 1955, I think, by the way. So it has that period piece that's feel when, as well. That's kind of when Fantastic Beasts is meant to be. Yeah, well, yeah, about the same kind of... It's post-war, isn't it, Fantastic Beasts? Yeah. Is it post-World War? I think it's supposed to be. I think yeah. it's supposed to be. Or is it... It's pre-war. Pre-World War Two, is that? Like 30s New York, maybe? It's maybe. I thought it was like 50s, but uh, we, we digress. It's very sepia-toned, don't it? It is. It is. <laughs> back in, the, back in a time when the world was made entirely of sepia. Yeah, yeah. we had no real colour. What, right what colour? Car would you like, sir? We offer sepia and sepia. Yeah. <laughs> you, know? you want a weird off-brown? We got you. <laughs> <laughs> Your time before colour. However, this film, very much colourful, very much a lot of colour in, in there. Um, quite impressive film. There is a quite a beautiful sequence, actually, um, set in a garden. It's about midpoint of the film. Um, very beautiful, sort of almost Harry Potter sort of leaning, kind of mm. Amblin-y sequence. A lot of wonder to it. And actually, might be the best thing Eli Roth's ever shot, if I'm honest. Mm. But, uh, yeah, I would go so far as to say this is the best film Eli Roth has ever put out. But I want to stress that that's coming from me, and I have You're a not fairly a low tolerance for Eli Roth. I think his best film prior to this was Green Inferno. So, and you didn't really like that. And I didn't, I was okay with it. I mean, it made a dude sat next to me on a train want to throw up, which was great. Nice, yeah. That's probably, that's probably more entertaining. <laughs> do not watch over people's shoulders. That is rude. And if you do, you deserve all the horror that you witness. Anyway. <laughs> all um, of the vomits. All of the chucking. Anyway, so I'd say it's fun for the whole family. It has that great wondrous feel. It has a little bit of a sort of a live action version of George Lucas' strange magic thing from about six years ago. Remember oh, that? That was terrible. That was terrible, but that if you turned it into terrible. sort of live action and did it with people, you'd wind it with something close to this. I liked it a great deal. Um, I think if you're a fan of the first Goosebumps movie, the Jack Black Goosebumps movie, and Harry Potter, this is a great halfway point. 
rather than the actual Harry Potter movie where they just nicked the plot of Goosebumps and it was rubbish. Mm. Remember that one? Yeah. Sequel's out this year, isn't it? Yes, it is, yeah. <laughs> I think that's what we're just going for with the title as well. I think so. Fantastic Beasts and, and Needless Sequels. Yeah. Fantastic <laughs> Beasts, we stole all the good bits from someone else. Fantastic Beasts, we all have mortgages. <laughs> with the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen. The Movie Marker Radio Show. And we're back, Mr. Allen. And you know what time it is? I think I do. It's climax time. I've so been looking forward to this. Okay, <laughs> Gaspar Noe releasing a new film is always an event in and of itself, is it not? I mean, it depends what you're into. Yeah. Really? In terms of just doing something different, you got to hand it to, to Gaspar Noe. You do get something a little different. I mean, that last yeah. one was... Was that the 3D erotic drama was it love? Was that love? love that was the last one wasn't it love is straight up porn <laughs> it really is be open, I love it be open it. like 90 seconds two minutes yeah it's such a graphic sex scene like no 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 no. first of all I've, I can top you on that one I sent you a link I think about a year ago for a peccadillo drama called Theo A. Hugo I think yeah, it was a, a Parisian set gay men's yeah, yeah. right. I think I remember when we reviewed this. I actually checked the timer on the link, and it was something like the first twenty-seven minutes were an uninterrupted gay orgy. Anyway, so <laughs> Gaspar Noé did the same thing and got some applause for it. Um, now he's back with Climax, and this is really something. This is not an erotic drama. This is a very, I would say, alternative humanist kind of a drama. This is an ensemble piece. It has the feel of something like Go <laughs> as a drama. It is set largely within one hall. It's one an orgy then, isn't it? If it's a, <laughs> just an ensemble piece. <laughs> well, it's, in fact, you could still say it is an orgy movie, but of a different kind. Is this a genre that we're going into now? Right. Just, orgy movies? Just, well, if Gaspar Noe has anything to say about it, yes. <laughs> what is the subgenre of that? Like, James Spader movies. I don't know. <laughs> Early Spader. Anyway, um, so this is set largely within a dance hall. Like one single contained dance hall. There is also a corridor that runs around the outskirts of this, this dance hall and maybe three or four sort of antechambers, like would have been used as sort of napping spaces or something like that. So it is set within a very confined space. It is, it centers around a dance troupe who are led by uh, Sophia Batella, mm. who speaks native, her native French tongue. Native French speaker, isn't she? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. yeah. Uh, speaks a native French on this entire movie. And oh, by the way, she is terrific in it. Nobody can move like Sophia Battelle. She's amazing. I haven't been impressed by... Um... She's, she's the original Blade Runner. <laughs> she really <laughs> is. I haven't been as impressed by an actress's uh, physicality in the last few years uh, since uh, Zoe Saldana. I think Zoe, Sophia Battelle was the first. So Zoe Saldana in, in Avatar. Uh, well, I, I, I always think of uh, uh, the the the... the Team Up movie, the one that came out opposite the eighteen, The Losers. Losers, yeah. I always think of her in The Losers, and I'm always astonished because she did that in Columbiana relatively close together, and the physicality. Yeah, I think that was a couple of years, yeah. after, wasn't it? That was the physicality that she has in those movies, I think is outstanding. I think Sophia Batella has that same quality. Same kind of thing. And I don't know if it's a dancer thing. <laughs> but or... if you ever watched uh, Christopher Walken in uh, in Hairspray. <laughs> very yeah, true, very say, true, yeah. very true. Okay, so uh, we have a dance troupe in this dance hall. They ha- they are rehearsing their big number. It's it's before a show that is going to take them to the US where they will, pursue, they will pursue their dreams as a squad they do this great long Hashtag squad goals squad goals they do this great long unbroken OTT insane 360 degree back flipping dance number nice 
and it is like nothing you've ever seen before. Uh, we've not got a clip for this, by the way, because it's, it's almost entirely in French. Um, into this mix, afterwards, you have a brief cool-down period. Like a sort of, uh, like a party, but they're just going to have... They've got a bowl of sangria, and they're just going to stand around and have a chat for minutes before they all go home for the night. Unfortunately, someone has spiked the sangria. That always happens. Yes. Someone has put LSD... In the sangria. So this is generally the plot of a film. <laughs> this is genuinely the plot of a film. So this entire dance troupe, who have all consumed <laughs> large amounts of this sangria prior, you know, prior to realizing this, then start to trip out, and all of their insecurities, all of their fears, all of the simmering resentments, the jealousies, the unspoken uh, romances, everything that's going on between every mm. pairing of this dance troupe comes to this glorious red lit neon infused climax if you will climax yeah. if you will imagine that <laughs> the performances are brilliant uh the, the the style of it is insane it is <laughs> it's pretty much the perfect representation of what you would what you personally would interpret an acid trip to look like <laughs> it has that otherworldly feel it has the non-linear feel it feels like time speeds up it slows down you never quite know if you're stood at an angle or if you're stood up straight i think it's tremendous i i know it doesn't work for some people some people have really taken against mm. it and i sat with john hearn through this and he came out and went do you know what? it was almost great but you know they just needed a little something i'd be like i loved it but uh yeah also if you say this movie needs a little something probably means lsd but uh, <laughs> so you think if you were on lsd yourself i think if you took lsd and then watched this film it would probably be the ultimate trip i mean it would it would be like snorting coke and watching apocalypse now i can imagine that would probably be <laughs> the only thing that could heighten apocalypse now but uh, that was an old dennis leary joke actually wasn't it? Was it dennis leary used to joke about doing coke and then watching apocalypse now that was his thing but on VHS, because it was the 1990s. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, this is a one-of-a-kind film. It is, for my money, an infinitely greater effort of artistic expression than Love was. I think it's more memorable as an experience, more memorable as a film. I will say, I asked for a screening link for this, for you. Because I, you. I wanted to make yeah. Obviously, I wanted to make it available to you. And I was turned down for that screening link with a very specific response that I, I love. It's the greatest, it's the greatest no I've ever had in my life. It was a gasper no. Right. <laughs> Almost, actually. And the response was, look, it, this is actually a really theatrical experience. And Gasper only wants this to be seen on the screen. And we, we, so yeah. we kind of have to respect that. So we're not giving out links. Sorry. And I'm like, I, and my response was, that's the greatest no I've ever had in my life. And I'm now three times as intrigued to witness this. It did live up to that expectation. And it genuinely does, I think, have to be hmm. seen on a on cinema screen. screen. Um, I never, it, it, it's what, the only thing I can say is to describe it as an art house, uh, blockbuster kind of experience. In, you remember the way that Gravity had a whole different effect if you saw it in IMAX? Yeah, and in fact, I've not seen it any other way. Right, well, I mean, I've watched Gravity seven ways from Sunday, and I've watched it home in 3D, I watched it in regular 3D in the cinema, I watched it in IMAX 3D. IMAX 3D was like a different thing though, it was, it was an experience. This, same thing. I would imagine if you could get to see this on an IMAX screen, you'd be talking about an absolute game-changer for Gasper mm. now. But as it is, I do think this should lead to bigger and better things from because it's a tremendous film. I do think tremendous. I, I will watch the hell out of this again. I would like um, to see it. And also, I, would, I would like to see it at a cinema screen. I don't know where it's 
going to be. I think you'd imagine you'd find it occurs on a showroom in Sheffield. Mm. Uh, if Meekin had anything to say about maybe the light. But, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, while well, the other one does no business and the other one's closed. But, uh, okay, so, uh, we got time for a quick news piece. You got something for me? I've got loads, but I don't, I don't know if we've got time. Sure, okay, so I do the little stranger really quickly. Yes. I feel bad shortchanging this. So I know how much you love Dee Gleason, man. Dee Gleason. Dee Gleason. Go, go, go ahead, Dee Gleason. I love his little mustache. <laughs> <laughs> so, The Little Stranger, which is the, uh, first film from Lenny Abrahamson since, since The Room. room. Since Room. Not, Not The, the room. room. Not Room. Never The Sorry. Room. Right. So, it, obviously, there is, there's some excitement to be had there, because Room was tremendous. Not only was it tremendous, it netted Brie Larson her Best Actress Oscar, yeah. for which we should be grateful. Cause... And also, he directed Frank. Yes. Which is, yes, of yeah. Big signed poster that. for that. I don't know if you've noticed. Big signed poster for that in Soho screening rooms outside the, oh, is next to the bathrooms. Next I've got, to... I've got like one of the Frank masks. You have, now, haven't you? Promo, yeah. yeah. I remember that. But mm. uh, anyway, so this is, uh, th- this is the story of a, a town doctor who, this is set in uh, post, this is set post war. Local doctor who goes to visit, um, this sort of manor like home that he knows from his childhood. When he was a child, he was, you know, poor boy in the community he looked up at this house in wonder uh, there was an incident whereby he tried to break in and have a look around once when he was a kid and his mum caught him and beat him for it and he's now the town doctor of course he's donald gleason so of course he's you know seven feet tall you know seven feet of of ginger-haired british classiness with the greatest mustache you can imagine and he speaks with you know the greatest diction anyone's ever heard mm. because he is donald gleason anyway he goes to this family home where the older brother of the of the adult children, of the sort of prime adult children, the older brother, played by Will Poulter, I forgot his name for a second, Will Poulter, has come back from the war disfigured. Yeah, he's got really big prosthetics. On. Really great prosthetics. And his performance is uh, is really something. Um, and, this, and his older sister, who's played by Ruth Wilson, they are the caretakers of this home. They have an illness in the, family, in, in, the, in the household that brings the Doctor to them. And this sets off a sequence of events in which the Doctor finds himself drawn into this family, becoming a sort of a part and a caretaker of this, this would-be wealthy family who seem mm. to have on hard times and all of this is going on as the brother is attempting to sell in, you know, integral crucial parts of the family estate to the local council etc and wouldn't you know it there's some sort of a ghostly presence going on in the house well, yeah it. imagine that here's a clip my darling brother still in Lidcote arguing with the builder about the land so I do hope they're not drinking to seal the deal now, speaking of which help yourself if there are any glasses left pay no attention I think you look very smart, Betty. Oh, I should warn you. Acoustics in this room are uncanny. Every word carries. You, Miss Ayers, look beautiful. Isn't touched a drop yet, Chip. Walk me too, you? So there's some great performances in there, and you would expect that from a film, you know, started in, being helmed by Lenny Abramson, because he yeah. does seem to get great performances out of, out of his casts. And Donald Gleason, of course, he goes way back with, goes back to Frank with, doesn't Yeah, he? I don't think we've done anything else, but I listened to Donald Gleason on a podcast. And he was talking about working with Lenny Abrams, and he basically said, I'll do anything he wants me to do. I'll be in whatever film, in whatever capacity. Quite, yes. Yeah. He seems to have a good partnership going on. 
Now, this is not quite as successful a venture as Room was, but I think with Room, there was very much the case of, there was a concept there that was irresistible. Well, it's, it's just, it's amazing source material. It is amazing source material. And I don't think this quite stacks up the same way. It's an, it, on its, on its, on its surface level, this would appear to be a horror film that has then been taken and filmed as something else. And what he's done, he's filmed it as effectively a chamber piece, a chamber drama. And I don't, for my money, that doesn't quite pay off the way it should. The characters are, are there and they are brought to life by really, really great performances. Mm. Like, when is Donald Gleason not awesome? Yeah. Like, good point. it just doesn't happen, just does it? The dude. <laughs> he's, he's, yeah. he's great in everything. On his worst day, he's one of the best performers around. And he's mm. kind of like an Oscar Isaac that way, isn't he? And, yeah. Oh, he's, well, Coincidence, huh? Star Wars guys. He's, he's one of my top three acting Gleasons. <laughs> Who's the third? They all just kind of like share for a second and third. No, hang on. So we got, we got Donal, Brandon. Who's the other Gleason? Who am I forgetting? Uh, the other, one of his other sons acts. Brian, is it? Or, it's either Brian or Brian. Cause it's oh, okay. Very oh, hang on a minute. First of all, you forgot Paul Gleason, who is no relation. <laughs> yeah. And what's his name? Sergeant Dwayne something or other in Die Hard? Dwayne the Rock Gleason. <laughs> Dwayne the Rock Gleason, exactly. Um, so this for me doesn't quite have the same success as Room does. It's got the performances, but the story isn't quite as involving. It isn't quite as interesting. The characters themselves are. The problem is when it's balanced against this horror movie concept that's going on mm. sort of discreetly in the background, it feels like a very misbalanced film, a very unbalanced film, very misjudged, tonally misguided film mm. that maybe should have had the horror element dropped entirely and this run as a straight chamber drama. drama. It feels like Abrahamson is so much more focused on that chamber drama that the horror movie element is given short change. And because it's given short change, it feels ineffective. I think because of marketing, people are going to watch this because they like films like The Woman in Black. I think so. That's definitely, it, definitely yeah. like that. Yeah, and, and from the the aesthetics of it, the great production designs, decrepit yeah, old mansion. Like. Yeah, yeah. You, you have the obvious influence. Uh, but I say I I liked the film, but it just didn't quite work on the in the in the grander sense. It didn't work for me on a cinematic level. It worked for me as an experience. I sat there. I liked the characters. I liked the performances. I liked the direction of it. But I did think that direction was going in the wrong direction. So. Mm. Yeah, one for the one for the completest. If you want to keep your Lenny Abramson uh, viewing you know roster up to date, then yes, definitely check this out. And if you're a Donald Gleason fan, you got to see this because the dude's killing it. Yeah. But uh, Ruth Wilson, Will Poulter, great, great cast. So is this it for the performances? Performances are there. Yeah, you will yeah. get something out of it. But if you're going into this looking for Woman in Black, boy, just just go and yeah. watch Woman in Black. And again. if you're going to see Woman in Black, why are you watching that film? The film's terrible. Go watch the play. <laughs> Much Every better. time with you. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Off Screen. The Movie Marker Radio Show. And we're back, Mr. Allen. So, top five for this week? Yeah, all right. Number five. Christopher Robin. Oh, look, Donald Gleason again. I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> I know, I know that's, it's the other one. Christopher Robin Begins. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, uh, uh, Ewan McGregor... 
Paddington, you know, Paddington gets Disney fied. Hook gets Paddington fied. Take take your pick. Yeah. I had a lot of fun with it. I liked it. I thought it was charming. It moved me when it needed to. It made me laugh. It, you know, I just, I, 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 we're all predisposed to just love these characters anyway. So the film's kind of got an easy ride of it. The film would have to be pretty bad to make you dislike a movie mm. that starred Winnie the Pooh. And yeah, it doesn't do that because, you know, we all love Winnie the Pooh. This indulges us in that way and it's kind of fun for you. I liked it. We all love Pooh. We all love Pooh. So, has anyone tweeted us on the matter? Yes. At Elise MyCloud says the Christopher Robin film, she could have just said Christopher Robin, True. has hit me straight in the feels, two crying face emojis, five hearts. Number four. King of Thieves, or Kane of Thieves, if you will. Which I thought was just rubbish. <laughs> I really wanted this to be good, but I mean, the problem is the story isn't that inherently interesting. I mean... I feel, like, I feel like it probably is, just maybe the way it's been told. I think a documentary would be A documentary would better. have been great. And, uh, I mean, we've got, a, we've got a great documentary to talk about. Well, two documentaries to talk about later. But uh, this just doesn't work. The, the, the casting doesn't quite mar with what they want to do with the characters. I mean, actually, don't, you know, sorry to tell lie. It does mar with what they want to do with the characters. It doesn't mar with what they actually do with the characters. The problem is the story itself cannot be depicted in a heroic way mm. and the film really really wants to and it cannot succeed in doing so it feels like it is stuck halfway between being silly and nasty it is uh just generally uninteresting you kind of because we all know where this inevitably goes anyway it lacks anything in the way of real suspense and if you look at something like american animals recently you something it's possible to do a heist movie you where you where you literally open with telling us how this is going to end and you can still make that interesting king of thieves does not do that not for me anyway has anyone tweeted who it might have done it for or? somebody has that person is at ffs curtis they say, if you're going to see King of Thieves, don't. Ah, okay. uh, bang average, super predictable. Thank you for listening to my TED Talk. <laughs> bang average. Number three. Them crazy rich Asians. Which Just has... Spending money. Well, it is. I mean, it's now opened, and a lot of the, more, a lot of the sort of ma- more mainstream critics that I know have seen it, and I think their response has been decidedly mixed, actually. And it's been a little less than the glowing pre-buzz that it had, which, I mean, I gave it glowing pre-buzz because I genuinely loved the movie. But I noticed a lot of sort of friends of mine now have seen it who didn't quite think it was all that. They had mm. a good time. Nothing, nothing to chat home about or anything, though. Um, for me, I think it is something to chat home about. I think it is a great throwback rom-com. I think it's got the, it's got the fun. It's got the feels. Um, the thing that stands out about that film for me uh, against most regular rom-coms is... You're used to a rom-com having six couples, you know, amongst its cast. You know, you follow the main couple, but there's all these side couples. This is one of the first times in a long time that I can remember every one of those couples having genuine depth in their relationship. We Mm. know what the relationship is, and they are given ample screen time to explore the relationship. Like Gemma Chan's character in this, for instance, has quite an intrigue. I'd watch an entire movie just about that relationship because it was genuinely interesting. But the 15 cumulative minutes of screen time that she's got is more than enough to satisfy. And also, you know, hashtag Gemma Chan for life. But because uh, she is just great, isn't she? I'm a big fan. I'm looking forward to seeing her in Captain Marvel. I am as yeah, well. Yeah, she's like blue, or like a bluey green. Wait, Captain Marvel, did that have a trailer this week? I, I hadn't heard. Did it have a trailer? Um, do you know what? It has. I might have seen it six times. Mine? Oh, okay, cool. Not, <laughs> so yeah, Crazy Rejections, I was a fan of, but I am obviously appreciative that it, it is a subjective thing. For me, wanting the best of a throwback rom-com 
That's what I got with this. And I think the cultural weight of it as well is something that we really shouldn't ignore. So, has anyone tweeted? At Lauren Evie, or Lauren Evie, says, I know, I know, no, I knew. There we go. I'll start that tweet again. I knew I was going to enjoy Crazy Rich Asians, but I didn't expect to absolutely adore it as much as I did. So, so great. So, so great. Number two. The Nun. Which has been, been killed, hasn't it? This has been given an absolute lambasting. I mean, I relatively liked it. I do think it's the best Conjuring spin-off, but I don't think the Conjuring spin-off's been particularly any good. I mean, uh, the second Annabelle's better than the first, but again, very low bar. Um, this follows the template more of a Conjuring movie as well, which is the really strange part, and I like Corin mm. Hardy's uh, direction. Did you did you get to cast them on? Uh, no, and I probably won't. Like, I've not watched <laughs> spin-offs, really. I've, I've watched, I watched the two Conjurings. I've not seen... I've not seen the the things. What's she called? Annabelle's, Annabelle's. 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 I've not yeah. seen the Annabelle's. Yeah. I probably won't see the Quicker Man until it comes on Netflix or mm. whatever. I just. So your beloved wife has not kept up the Conjuring uh, cinema series, cinema visits. Though no, we've got like we've got a backlog of really <laughs> naff horror films to watch. <laughs> So, yeah. we probably will watch it. Hey, it's in four years. You say about really now horror films. I discovered recently I have a whole new wrong turn movie to watch. Which one is that? <laughs> That's got to be the seventh one, surely. Yeah. The last one starred Roxanne Pallet. Yeah. Yeah. We I... like to forget that, don't we? Oh, I watched a film on the Horror Channel the other day. What was it called? Uh... Yeah, because my, my internet was down. So You had to watch actual telly? I had to watch actual telly, and we discovered what an absolute delight the horror channel could be. Oh, yes. I watched Lots a film of Star Trek Enterprise for some reason. Loads of it. It's bizarre. Mm. Um, I watched a film called Society, which I will have to tell you about later. Please do. In the meanwhile, mm. has anyone tweeted us about The Nun? Or do we have, in the way of tweets, none? You're just the worst kind of person. <laughs> At Justlit says, if you like horror, you can't rate The Nun. Yeah. Okay. That's to the yeah. point, isn't it? Number one. Pretty, 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 pretty all right, Predator. <laughs> yeah. I, do you know what? That's that's actually not the not the worst way to describe this film. Yeah. On balance. Because you say, like, not a great movie. Some things don't make a whole heap of sense. But I did have some fun with the characters until I didn't. And I did enjoy all the Shane Black stuff until it was cut to ribbons. I enjoyed it. I just didn't think it was any good. Yeah, it's really just kind of the edit- like the editing, but yeah, ruins it a little bit for me. But it There's just, it just feels like Shane Black is trying to be twenty three years old again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, his 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 interpretation of an internet accessible twenty three year old, mm. and yeah, it didn't quite work at times, does it? Mm. I mean, to be fair, at least he's not one of those throwbacks that chucks in really awkward like social media references and things like that. But oh, I found her with her Facebook profile yeah. and stuff like that. Hashtag Bebo. <laughs> exactly. Um, has anyone tweeted us about the Predator and did they like it or love it? Uh, I think they uh, they liked it quite a bit. At Bearded Snorlax. I like it. I love it. Says the Predator was awesome. The banter was absolutely perfect and I'm a sucker for the ragtag military reject trope. Also, I love Keegan Michael Key. Who doesn't love Keegan Michael Key? Keegan Michael Key's the man. His ex wife. <laughs> fair enough. Does he have an ex wife? Yeah, he's got a new wife as well. Alright, oh, okay, fair enough. Was it? Uh, oh, no, it was. It was uh, I'm trying to remember. Wasn't it Jordan Peele who was like the perpetually single one all those years? And then got married to Chelsea Peretti. And then got awesome. married to Chelsea Peretti, who's like yeah. everyone's favourite person. They've got a kid. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh wow! It's, it's funny how the tables turns. It. So, uh, have you got a piece of news for me before we review Faces Places? Yeah. So, do you remember what a absolutely huge 
international cultural phenomenon Black Panther was. I'm vaguely familiar with the international cultural phenomenon that was Black Panther, yeah. Yeah, it's just incredible, wasn't it? And it spoke to so many people, so many different types of people. Some people saw themselves representing a film we've never, never seen in that way. And I think... That is very true. It's, it's really a credit to Ryan Coogler, isn't it? No, oh, Ryan Coogler did stuff, a tremendous, did tremendous job on it. Just yeah. going back to Fruitvale Station as well and... Do you remember seeing that for the first time and just being like... I wasn't blown away by Fruitvale Station. I'm, I'm well, not going to lie. We, we, we were blown away by Creed. Yes, I was blown away by Creed, yes. Yeah. But, uh, I feel like the man kind of like can craft magic. Oh no, I think I should explain. I think yeah. with Fruitvale Station, I think Michael B. Jordan's performance is amazing. I think the, uh, Ryan Coogler's direction is amazing. I just don't think the film is particularly great. I don't think the story measures up for me. Okay, well, you're wrong. But, I know, but um, okay, I'm, 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 that's just, that's just like, that's just like your, your opinion. But, but you, you, you would say that he is, he is incredible. Oh, he is incredible. So, yeah. is he still incredible? Is he going to be incredible next? Yeah, he's going to produce Space Jam 2. Good God. <laughs> okay. So you redefine the cultural parameters of race within summer superhero blockbusters. And then where do you logically go next? I'm going to produce Space Jam 2. Yeah. I am. I'm down. Who stars in? Is it LeBron? LeBron James. LeBron James is the star, and of... it's officially happening. They have a director now, and I forgot the director's name. But okay. yeah, LeBron put up a picture on Instagram where it is. It's like a cartoon locker room, like a basketball yeah. player's locker room. Um, it's like Bugs Coogler. <laughs> yeah, that, that's essentially that what it is. It? So Bugs, and then it's like point guard or whatever, yeah. and then L James. Uh, and then whatever position he plays. Yeah, and, and then Coogler. the director's name, I forget what it is, Menace's director, and then Ryan Coogler, R. Coogler, producer. Wow. It's amazing. What a time to be alive. Like, I mean, <laughs> do you know you know when, when the marketing starts for Space Jam, it's going to be the biggest thing ever. Like, that It'd is just going to be huge. They'll, they will, do you remember the old Warner Brothers stores they used to have? They will reopen those for Space Jam. Probably, yeah. <laughs> really will. I miss having one. I miss having a Warner Brothers store. It makes sense to do it now. Just think about the 90s nostalgia boom. But oh, recently. God. There's just... so much Friends merchandise you could sell. Yeah. <laughs> but, okay, so I uh, need to talk about a documentary really quickly then. I need to talk okay. about Faces Places. And I want to tell you what it's originally called in French because it's absolutely brilliant. Places Faces. Visages Villages. <laughs> that's even better that's amazing isn't it yeah. so faces places visages villages right this is a documentary that follows effectively a road trip a road trip taken by Agnes Varda you know the director mm. and the photographer and general conceptual artist JR who I had not heard of and JR. I, JR as in who shot yeah yeah exactly <laughs> right so the two of them evidently have been friends for a few years uh, she obviously works behind the camera he obviously you know works behind a different kind of camera but works more with tangential performance art and things mm. they go on a road trip through rural France together and just decide to just do a bunch of art projects along the way they find mm, things that in, find things that inspire them to create art, and then they create that art. I mean, there's one stage where they literally stop and they 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 decorate a block of houses and they they put sort of portraits of the people who live in them. Which is, I'm just gonna put it out there, by the way, very dangerous for for in you know for for keeping case against burglars, etc. Because mm. you know everyone would know where you lived. You're so easy to rob. But uh, yeah, anyway. but yeah, so they literally put like a big big picture of a woman's face outside her own house, but it looks incredible. It has the feel of a sort of a weird... You know, like the trip? 
You like Michael Winterbottom's The Trip series with yeah. the is it uh, uh, Steve Coogan and Rob Brydon? Rob Brydon, yeah. But they just they just go and they enjoy restaurants together and yeah. and vineyards and things. I need to watch the Spain one actually. I've never watched anything past the first one. There's like three of them now, isn't there? Yeah, Spain is the third one. We've done Italy. Oh, Italy was the second then. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this has the feel of something like The Trip. I could actually see this having existed as a TV series, as a sort of a road trip series. And in a strange way, you kind of sit and think, I, I kind of would have preferred that because there's so much of their characters that get explored. Their relationship gets explored quite a lot along mm. the way. And they're so, they clearly have this, this unconventional, but quite effective friendship, this quite touching friendship. Mm. And it, it's quite, it's just great to sit and enjoy that you get really taken in by just the dynamic between these two. And again, imagining it as a series aside, as a film, I, do feel it's 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 either too much or too little. I can't quite decide, mm. and I I Which do I, I can't quite decide between do I want to see this four times longer and split up for a TV show, or do I just want to see this as a one-off, one-hour documentary? Right. The current ninety-minute form of it doesn't quite work for me, but I was really suckered in by it, and I really liked it. And I know nothing of Agnes Varda or JR or even who shot JR. But, you know, I know nothing of these things, but I really was taken in by it. This happens to me twice this week, by the way. Uh, but you yeah, seem shaken by it. Yeah, I was, I really just, just knocked for six, but I'm like, okay, this is actually really good. So yeah, yeah, I recommend it. It comes good out one. Friday. So, nice uh, Check out Visage's Villages, or as it's less imaginatively titled here, Faces Places. But bonus points, if you find a cinema that you ask for a ticket for Visage's Villages And they know what you're talking about. And they know what you're talking Mm. about. If you find that cinema, tweet us, (laughs) at Movie Marker, and let us know... Because we we got to yeah. celebrate that. If you find that cinema, you marry it. You, you marry, marry that it. <laughs> you lock that down. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen. The Movie Market Radio Show. And we're back for our cursory one last ride, Mr. Allen. I've forgotten that last one, actually. J.R. and Agnes Varda did actually direct that documentary together as well. Mm, yeah, it was nominated for uh, Best Foreign Feature. It did, didn't yeah. it? Yeah, and she's won uh, an honorary Oscar in the past as well. Has she? Yes, she has. I somehow did not know that, but you generally know more about the Oscars than I do. You retain a lot of Oscar stuff that I do. I, I really do. Like, I, I don't know how to change tyre. I don't know how to bleed a radiator. <laughs> I tell you who won Best Picture in 1987. It's, it, it's, it's important to have the crucial <laughs> life skills, and with your son on the way it's great that you can impart I'm, I'm this wisdom impart that, yeah. you can impart this wisdom <laughs> raise him right yeah. <laughs> but be absolutely useless at everything but he will know his Fellini <laughs> right so from Fellini to MIA Let's talk about Matangi Maya MIA. Yay. Which, um, surprise, surprise, it's the second documentary this week that I expected to get nothing from and absolutely loved. So yeah. This uh, is culture. I know, imagine that. Imagine me getting some culture. So this is a 96-minute uh, biographical documentary about... Uh, are we, we going to go with the singer, M.I.A.? Are we going to call her? Yeah. Yeah, the, I can do. Because yeah. I went into this... I'll be honest with you. I don't... Right, uh, preamble for this. I don't know M.I.A. I didn't know M.I.A. Other than right? the song Paper Plays. Other than... Exactly. She was the lady who sang the, the unofficial Pineapple Express theme song to me. <laughs> yeah. 
Okay, because Huey Lewis sang the actual theme song, didn't he? And she sang what became the unofficial song. When they repeated the gag in uh, This Is The End, they used her song because it was so closely identified with that film. I didn't realise that she'd had hits before that, that she had hits after. I also didn't realise that it turns out she's kind of one of the greatest humans in the world. Although (laughs) she does seem to have a bit of an attitude about it, which I love her for even more. So... We, this takes us, it's shot in this almost Amy-like style. It's the closest comparison I could, I could find was, uh, Asif Kapadia's Amy. This is directed by, uh, Steve Loveridge, who is an old friend of, uh, I'm gonna call her Maya for the purpose of, of this, cause I think she seems to identify most as Maya. She was born in Sri Lanka, in London, she moved to Sri Lanka. She has this backstory that you couldn't possibly have imagined. She moved from London as a child to Sri Lanka with her parents and her younger brother. Mm. Her father, that be, um, getting taken in by the politics of what had been happening in Sri Lanka, decided he couldn't take it anymore. He was moving there to set up his own liberation army. And that's what he did. Wow. Yeah. So our young Matangi, as she's, as she's called early in her life, is raised in abject poverty, moving from one uh, village of squalor to another. She and her sibling and her mother moving independent of the father. She doesn't see her father for many, many years until I think after she's returned to the UK. She returns to the UK in a teen. She, be, uh, she then grows up as sort of your quintessential bohemian London artist. And as time goes by, she begins to discover more about her own heritage, become more fascinated by her Sri Lankan heritage. As she puts it herself, she is the only Tamil working in Western media. And I don't know whether that's factually accurate or not. Like, you'd assume there must be one or two more Tamil Mm. performers like out there. Maybe they've not identified as much, but... She is quite prominent with it. She brings it out as a big part of her performance, and she then goes into activism and filmmaking in support of the state of the state of affairs in Sri Lanka. Uh, we have a quick clip that kind of sells this for you. I need to keep the immigrant story in all my work, always, because that is what I'm trying to make sense of. We're users scapegoat. Brexit, where users the scapegoat to build a wall. But people have always mixed and mingled and moved, and interesting things happen because of it. So she has a lot to say, and I think because she has a lot to say, the perception mm. of her is uh, is depicted sometimes as being that maybe she's a little bit troublesome, maybe she's uh, maybe she's a fire starter, maybe you know she's a political a twisted fire starter. Yeah, exactly. And um, right, I, I didn't know anything about her. Like personally, I literally knew the song. I went in, I saw this, I watched what felt like Amy. Mm. It felt like that kind of documentary, only there was no great, you know, great tragedy involving the demise of the artist behind this one. But it had exactly the same power as Amy, albeit obviously not in quite such a personally tragic direction, specifically personally tragic direction, but it did have that calibre of filmmaking and that that calibre of insight behind it. And as far as creating a portrait of a human being goes, this is tremendous. This is absolutely brilliant. Um, I, I got a lot out of the music of it as well. I'd agree. <laughs> it might be the uh, the most toe tapping documentary I've seen since Studio Fifty Four this year. Which, uh, by the way, is now on now on home, end, home end. 
Nice. So I will watch that. Gonna watch that because I loved that Studio Four documentary, uh, Studio Fifty Four documentary. Um, this I loved as well. I thought this was genuinely brilliant. I thought it was a really well captured, really well realized documentary. Um, sidebar: there is an interview with MIA by a friend of mine, by Simran Hans, on the Dazed magazine website. You know the magazine Dazed. Really terrific interview that just sort of works alongside this film. It's a brilliant, sort of, uh, brilliant way to cap off having watched this film. Check out Simran's uh, review. It is really good. You should absolutely watch this. You'd really do it. Well, I have liked her for many, many years. Of course you have. You know music. I'm aware of it. (laughs) I listen to it on occasion. Ah, fair. Yeah. She's got quite a back catalogue, hasn't she? I didn't know. Have you watched that video to Borders, what I told you about? No. The one with the, the ginger kids? Yes, yes. Sorry, I have watched it now. Yeah. It comes up in this, I believe. Is it Borders for video? Uh, I forget what it's called. I know the video you're talking, or, talking about, though. Yeah, um, yes. Ginger Kid Massacre. Yeah, some of, her, some of her visuals in some of those music videos are insane, by the way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, 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 the gold Mercedes stood on its side driving through the Bedouins in the desert. Yeah. That's, that's an all-timer right there. That's bonkers. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, absolutely check this out. This was a really good documentary. I think uh, I, I think it probably. I mean, it's something that when it hits film four, will be a smash. Yeah. Like I think it'll be big. Maybe in is London. it has it been produced by film four? Are they involved? No, do you know offhand? I couldn't tell. You, I don't. It remember seems that. like the kind no, of thing. That seems they like would. it, doesn't it? Yeah. But uh, I know it's uh, it's been released by Dog Wolf though. Right. So I mean, Dog Wolf they don't know how to handle a doc. I mean, also <laughs> they they know how to handle really really good docs because I. Start, I struggle to remember the last sort of film they've put out that I didn't like. Mm. So, oh, and also they put out Studio Fifty Four. So, hey, it's all connected. Yeah. <laughs> Hashtag it's all connected. Sorry, Marvel. Right. So, uh, final review of the week. Let's talk Mile Twenty Two, sir. Are you ready for this? I mean, I've been ready for all the other. <laughs> Oh, we have a Berg films. <laughs> That's what we just call them now, aren't we? The Bergs. They, they are. Wal- Wahlberg and Peter Berg. Peter Berg. Yeah. yeah, the Berg movies. Yeah, that, that works, doesn't it? Right, so this follows... Right, I try to put out... <laughs> First of all, the poster for this, which just makes me laugh because it just looks like a PlayStation game cover. It really no, it does. does yeah. And the film plays in much the same way. So you get this sort of setup in which we have kind of an Argo-like embassy kind of a setup, only it turns out that the the staff who are working in this embassy, which is in a very nondescript country, by the way, like, they go out of their way to to not specific, specifically nail down the ethnicity going on here. Mm. It just seems to be Southeast Asia. That's kind of all we get, really. Yeah. And there's lots of Indos thrown in there. If you know what I mean, every time there's a place there's an Indo, for instance. Right. So generic, you know, South Southeast Asian kind of country, American embassy. The staff of this embassy, it turns out, are uh, Mark Wahlberg, Rhonda Rousey, Lauren Cohen, uh, forgettable white dude with a ponytail because he's not a name on a poster, it yeah. seems. And uh, Iko Uwe. Well, sorry, Iko Uwe is, uh, sorry, is not one of the teams. Sorry. They, they work in this embassy. And the gimmick we're told is whenever the US government needs them for black ops, for black ops, the way it works is option one is diplomacy to get anything done. Option two is military. And if both of those options fail, you activate option three. Option three is this staff. This staff are Overwatch. Right. When Overwatch 
If and I am doing the Doctor Evil thing every time yeah. I do it, just because it amuses me. And they, they can't call this film Overwatch. So. And they can't call it yeah. Overwatch because <laughs> Overwatch has been taken by yeah. the video game is it Tom Clancy's. Or, or yes, yeah. And this, believe me, this feels so sub Tom Clancy anyway, mixed with a PlayStation game, which is kind of where Tom Clancy ended up anyway. So when the situation is dire and options one and two have failed. Overwatch is formed, and the staff of Overwatch have to resign. They all get these documents, and they have to resign, and they hand them into the embassy, and they just basically load up with guns, get into a truck, and go and do the job. And when they're done, if they've gotten away with it, they get to go and have the jobs back. That's how it works, right? Which you'd well, think, it. you'd think, wouldn't you, that would be a big dramatic moment? No, no, it's not. It's not. That's, that's not a big dramatic moment. That's just a moment that comes in an hour into this 90-minute film. It just happens. So I want to start by saying the plot of this movie starts at the 90-minute, at the hour mark of a 90-minute film. The plot of the movie is Iko Uwe is a foreign operative who has uh, all these specific stolen secrets from the other side uh, stored on a hard drive that's got an access lock and a password on it. And he'll he'll give them, he's given them the, the embassy, the, uh, the, the drive, and he will only give them the password in exchange for safe passage to the US. So the only way they can get this done with all of his people encroaching upon the embassy is to transport him securely from the embassy to mile 22. Clever title. Yeah. They worked for that. They really worked for that. <laughs> anyway, uh, but of course, if you've ever seen the movie SWAT, you can sort of imagine how this is going to go. Here's a clip. That's my asset. Who is he? Lee Noor. I don't want to know his name. I don't know what he does for a living. I want to know who is he. A loner. No kids, no family. 100% accurate and reliable. You mark him or he mark you? I marked him. He says he has the exact location of all six sets of seizing. He's logged it on a disc. He says only if we get him out of the country and give him asylum will he open the disc. You gonna deal with this? You want me to handle it? I got it. This is serious, right? Oh, very. So it wants to feel really procedural. It wants to feel really yeah. Michael Mann about it, very Tom Clancy. Like, like, it wants to be a Tom Clancy story by way of Michael Mann. It wants to be quite factual, to the point, down, down and dirty. Uh, the problem is, it's rubbish. <laughs> Mm. It's not exciting because it's so matter of fact about everything that you just can't quite get any real enjoyment out of it. Wahlberg's trying to drop in his natural, you know, that, that, uh, that Boston boy charm that he does doesn't quite work because the script's not there to make any of that particularly likable. Um, because the plot doesn't start until the one hour mark, and this is one of those great big movies where, you know, there have to be big, tragic team member deaths and stuff like that, you know, one of those movies. Yeah. Um, because you've got all that to go on. It happens with, all that happens within 25 minutes. So you've got an hour of standing around talking. And then 25 minutes of, now everyone who's just been talking for an hour, well, we're just going to give them all guns and just fire at buildings, like people in windows and stuff. That's the movie. And there's one really good fight scene with Eco Away in a kitchen, which we've already seen because we've seen the Raid seen 2. Raid, yeah. yeah, you remember in the Raid 2 and they had that amazing kitchen fight? Mm. Same thing gets done here. Only is it kitchen or a medical bay? I can't, it might be the medical bay. Sorry, uh, it's in a medical bay here. And same exact thing. The the, the kitchen stuff from from Raid Two. Are you picking up the the the, the scalpels and the the the, the, the chest litters and things like that. And yeah, it all feels a bit been here, done that. It, it really does feel like mile nine thousand because you know we've worn this out. 
And like the Peter Berg style seems to go, right, I'm just going faux documentarian with it. That's, that's, that's the shtick. I'm, yeah. I'm doing the, the grainy digital Michael Mann thing. I've got Ronda Rousey in it, a flak jacket. You know, what more do I need? And the problem is all the stuff that's supposed to be meaningful in it isn't. All the stuff that's supposed to be suspenseful in it is inert. Uh, Mark Wahlberg, it feels like he's just going through the motions at best. And the problem is that the film is so pedestrian that it's hard to deny him that feeling. And that, that, that that was kind of a disappointment to me. I think I really enjoyed Deepwater Horizon. Like, I yeah, I, did, I didn't see the last one, the uh, the yeah. Boston bombing. Oh, one. Patriots Day. Yeah, I didn't mind Patriots. I thought Patriots yeah, yeah, Day was pretty right. good. Yeah, but this this sure as hell ain't no Deepwater Horizon. No, but I think that's their best team up. Yeah, better than Lone Survivor. But I tell you something. I mean, I thought this was some kind of franchise launcher actually, mm. and I can very specifically say clearly it, it either it either really isn't. Or maybe it's based on some series of novels and it goes somewhere very different than I than I would have expected. I don't know. I'm gonna have yeah. to look into that actually. I would be very curious to see if this is based on a series of books. It does feel like a Tom Clancy adaptation, but you know, it, it, it looks like it just from the marketing. Yeah, but yeah. but you know, a particularly dull one. But mm. uh, yeah. So alas, uh, that is not film of the week anyway. What a shocker! Um, do you know what? I'm, I don't know what. It's some really good films out this week. week for me. Climax. I would give Climax Film of the Week. I really loved Climax. Do whatever you want. But, uh, yeah, I know. Do you know what? I I, I don't have to answer to anyone. It's Climax. Climax (laughs) is our film of the week. It's the off-screen film of the week. Uh, I'd go House with a Clock in its Wall second, to be honest. Yeah, I am probably going to see... Oh, hang on. What am I saying? Climax or Matangi Maya MIA. I loved Yeah, I loved both. It's three good films. Are you going to see what, sorry? I'm going to see uh, House with with a Clock. I think you'd love it. I, yeah. I do. yeah. If only because like, that's going to be the most accessible one. <laughs> one I'm going to be able to find. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so uh, some fun to come uh, next week. What did we say the biggie was next week? The Glenn Close? The Wife. The Wife. That's yeah. finally out next week. Like you said, that came around quite quick, didn't it? Yeah. And, uh, I did think, yeah, I thought it'd be like January when it's out. Let's see, we've also got Skate Kitchen next week. There is Dusty and Me. There is Black 47. And, and again, this this sounds like the title of a Tom Clancy adaptation. Redcon 1. Redcon 1, a Jack Jack Ryan thriller. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so we've got all those to come and more next week off screen. In the meanwhile, this has been a Candy Store production of the Movie Market. I've been Van Connor. I've been Case Allen. And we shall return. Just show me the way to get out of here and I'll be on my way. You've been listening to Off Screen. For more movie news, reviews, and more, visit moviemarker.co.uk. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. Podcast extras. So, uh, let's uh, sift through the film news really quickly. Just going to burn through it. By the way, there's apparently... There is uh, a suggestion based on um, a photo that one of the Russo brothers has put on Twitter. Uh, mm. On Instagram, sorry. Yeah. Oh, no, it's Twitter. And he's put the caption, look hard. And if you look very deeply within the picture, you can actually spot Avengers Endgame. As, uh, as a really, time. that has just come up the last that, couple of hours. That was rumored a while ago. It has, yeah. It's been it's been brought up a while because there is that line at the end of, of the last one, isn't there? We're in the end game now. We're in the end game, yeah. which is which is, I suppose, that does make it sound like the ultimate finale, doesn't it? I'm gonna I'm gonna try to find it. <laughs> in the meanwhile, uh, can we talk about Fan Bingbing for a second? Let's do it. Yeah, let's fan, talk about it. Fan Bingbing's missing. No one knows where she is. She's been missing for months. Yeah. This has somehow escaped the world media. So. <laughs> 
Yeah. Well, I, I think I said to you, if this was 2004, mm. an, an X-Men actress disappearing, this would be front page news. It would be, wouldn't it? But uh, no, no, not at all. Uh, meanwhile, Child's uh, Play, that's getting remade, isn't it? Yeah, um, with some pretty cool people. Very uh, cool people. Um, yeah. Brian Tyree Henry. Yep. Who's from Atlanta, from Atlanta and loads yeah. of cool stuff. And uh, also Aubrey Plaza. Whom I adore, Aubrey Plaza. I, well, I think she's, she's the greatest. Yeah, but uh, uh, we, we don't know if uh, if Don Mancini is going to be involved. Apparently he's not. No, Don Mancini's not going to be involved in this because he's going. He's continuing with the TV series which is going to carry on the continuity. Oh, okay. So the end of Cult of Chucky, that's going to get picked up with this TV series. Apparently Glenn's going to be back, which I, I hate. But, uh, yeah. yeah. And uh, in the meanwhile, this is going to be its own thing. So apparently yeah. they are do, do going away... They're doing away with the serial killer possession thing right that aspect is what? gone so according so to what this, is, what is this going to be right okay <laughs> this is going to be closer to like it and strange no 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 here's the quote and you tell me why make this and call it child's play right right the new take is expected to follow a group of kids dealing with a technologically advanced dog that has been reprogrammed into a murderous machine by a disgruntled doll manufacturing employee Right, that's not Child's Play, that's Small Soldiers. Yeah, that's a, that's a different film. That's a very different film. You've not remade Child's Play, you've remade Small Soldiers. That That's not it at all. But, uh, you know, what's over to them, I guess. Right. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> that is strange. Okay, so yeah. we've got to uh, talk about the... Oh, did we mention last week about the Oscars scrapping the stupid thingy award idea? Well, they're not scrapping it; they're just delaying it. The delaying to yeah. rework it, yeah, which means you know it's not happening. But uh, which means I had that. Me- I bought that Meg, uh, you know, for your consideration, the Meg, yeah. uh, you know, outstanding achievement in popular cinema. For shirt. nothing. For nothing. Although I'm going to keep wearing it as a monument to how stupid the Academy can be occasionally. Yeah, but uh, never, never forget, <laughs> never ever forget. Yeah. Uh, so the big news, obviously, this week is uh, we got to talk about Marvel. Yeah, we're getting, um, I mean, wouldn't you know, we're getting Marvel TV shows, but not the ones that we're used to. Right, so the basic way this is going to work is that promise that we had in 2012, when they announced Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Was that really 2012? That was 2012, six years ago. We just finished the fifth season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Mm. So, yeah. And that's that's finishing as well. That's finishing, yeah. Yeah. One last season to uh, see what happened after the snap, but uh, which we'll find out next summer. But the way way it was supposed to work was hashtag it's all connected. They literally came up with that for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And the idea was Disney owned ABC, so ABC would make the TV series that was set within the continuity of the films. So in the movies at that point, was a rather inconvenient point because Captain America the Winter Soldier was happening yeah. you know in what would have been halfway through the first series so the first season sorry of uh, Agents of Shield then had to deal with Hydra and it made that show brilliant they got Bill Paxton to be uh, uh, a Marvel villain which was mm-hmm. Amazing. Amazing. We could have done without in, in a film. Yeah. That would have been better. Like, because it was film caliber as well. That was why it would, because it was film caliber. Yeah. They then introduced real subset Marvel characters who were part of the S.H.I.E.L.D. infrastructure, things like that. And they got good at good movie actors to play them. So you wind up with like Saffron Burroughs turning up to play, yeah. uh, uh, Hand. What's her name? I forget how, uh, Isabel Hand? Victoria Hand, Victoria Hand, who's evil sort of Shield agent, and Nick Fury turned up, and and Maria Hill turned up. It was great, and you had all these really good actors playing Marvel, uh, you know, low level Marvel characters who were never going to particularly be in movies. That was, and then of course, obviously, the divide happened. Ike Perlmutter, Kevin Feige went to blows. Marvel Studios were separated, and it went. TV's a different thing. Yeah, TV's a different thing. And the now, to be fair, Agents of Shield have been really good about it. 
Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. themselves, the people who work on it, they're really good about it, and they've always mentioned the events of the movies. Because mm. it's no skin off their nose. You know, you can casually throw in a line about the Sokovia Accords and stuff like that. It's fine. You know, uh, the most recent season finale of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. actually features an offhand mentioning something is happening in New York. And right. that is... And we know about Yeah, it, we yeah. know that's the arrival of Thanos' ship and Iron Man and Doctor Strange yeah. fighting. And him. presumably the last season, as you said, it's going to deal with the snap. It's going to have to deal with... Well, it's going yeah. to have to. going to have to, yeah. Um, but... There has always been that divide, and it's been more squarely aimed at Netflix than anything else, has been this idea of we have movie-caliber shows going on over on Netflix with Marvel characters <laughs> that are reportedly set within that world. They mention the incident an awful lot. Mm. Characters have, you know, m- you know, big framed newspaper prints of the and Battle you've seen of New York. Your and, Hulk and stuff, yeah. yeah, you see all that stuff. Uh, but Kevin Feige doesn't seem to like that because he doesn't have a hand in it. Yeah. So, you know, he discounts it. It's not, we're never going to see Daredevil join the Avengers, it seems. It's it's a shame. I I think just the general public, they do see them being part of the MCU. They do, yeah. Because they're, that's they're the like movie-level actors. But, mm. yeah. To be fair to those Netflix shows as well, <laughs> they've been pretty good about it by keeping their action relatively small scale. Like, I would argue the end of... Well, the, yeah, it's, it's street level. That's what it, we've it, been it. Yeah. And I would argue that the uh, at the end of The Defenders, when they blew up a skyscraper, that's probably about the biggest thing they could ever possibly do on one of those shows. Yeah. And I yeah. don't think you're going to get that again. You know, I don't think it's something going to happen again. Yeah. Because well, they've said we're not going to get a Defenders 2. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Yeah, probably for the best. Yeah, because we need to keep these things low. So now, of course, Disney are launching a streaming service, and they really, really don't want Netflix to have all the limelight. So what's the story here we've got eight eight episode limited series six to eight episode limited series right that kevin feige will have a hand in he's going to be producing he's going to produce them but actively producing yep them. they're having a movie style budgets well, and yeah movie style yeah. Uh, budgets and production values and yeah well because you'd look at something like game of thrones which is like was a hundred million a series for game of thrones yeah and then you think well yeah but stack that against a $250 million superhero movie, and actually, they're about the same, the same value. Thing, yeah. Although you can argue, you might actually get more out of the series in the long run for less money. Absolutely. So it makes a complete economic sense as to why you do it. And also, Game of Thrones proved that movie actors doing, you know, high-concept cable dramas is still a thing. Yeah. It happens. <laughs> it turns out it happens every now and again. They they like to do that sometimes. We had a Glenn Close legal thriller for five years, yeah. you know, that never got the attention it deserved. By the way, and that was uh, damages. Damages. So good that season. I yeah. need to rewatch all that. That Ryan Felipe season was the bomb. Anyway, no one's ever said that about anything. But Ryan Felipe's every <laughs> the Ryan Felipe season was really really good. I think he was meant to be like a Zuckerberg type. I think like, mm. if memory says it was a while ago. I watched it. Anyway, so uh, Loki and Scarlet, Scarlet Witch. Which are uh, going to be the first ones. I don't know how I feel about the Loki one. No, I've got a theory. I'd rather Loki just be dead. And I know that in Avengers Endgame, let's just start calling it right now. Yeah, yeah, let's probably, do that. Yeah, 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 I, don't, I don't mind that title. I, I'm still fond of Infinity War. You know? Infinity War? In, Infinity War. No, yeah, I, I don't, I don't think we're ever going to get that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I know we're going to get uh, flashbacks. Or there's, there's gonna be, we're going to see Loki again. Mm. in the fourth one but then I thought that was well, that I think, was kind I of I think it. that fourth one wrap them up so well the fourth one has to have like a time travel parallel university element in yeah I think we're, we're so. going to see Battle of New York so it makes sense to see Loki so I think you will see Loki in the Battle of New York yeah uh, we, 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 exactly but why would say I mean my theory on this on Loki mm. is I think they are going to fill the hole 
the massive, massive Loki hole. Oh, that would make sense. When he falls off a bridge. When he fell off that bridge and then was somehow possessing Stellan Skarsgård and then somehow went off and met Thanos and then somehow made his way to Earth, then possessed, sorry, that then took mind control over Stellan Skarsgård, who didn't seem otherwise affected by him, mm. but then two movies later, Stellan Skarsgård just casually mentions that he has a god in his he head. Does, yeah. He had a god in his head. So that's a lot of stuff you can explain. Yeah, so that makes sense. What yeah. about for Scarlet Witch, then? For Scarlet Witch, well, that could be anything. That could be her origin story. That could be, uh, you know, the side mission she's been off doing between Civil War and Infinity War. And yeah. There's a lot you can do with it. Could it could be life without, without I mean, mission. there's a very obvious chance there to do one that's set slightly earlier and bring back Aaron Taylor-Johnson. Yeah, but, you know, we don't need to do that. We don't need to do that, but I could yeah. see them doing it because that character hasn't had much of a presence in the MCU. Yeah. Can I give you uh, my my bigger theory? That's right. Nice. And so I will warn you when it comes to Disney and Marvel, uh, some of my theories, my really, really out there theories, have actually come true. And they are really bizarre business based theories. So, I, pre- I predicted Bill Larson two years before she was cast. As you did, Marvel. you did. Yeah. So here is, here is my theory. They will do the Loki series, whether, whether it does that filling the hole in the continuity thing or not, they will do the Loki series. It will be the biggest thing on streaming that month because. It's just gonna be. This thing's gonna be yeah. like a superhero movie times a six or eight. Yeah. And it's gonna start Tom Hiddleston and the po you can see the posters right now in your head. And there will be a Chris Hemsworth cameo. There will be a Kate Blanchett. There will be something like that in there. There will be cameos in there. And it will be a hit. And the day it launches or the, or, you know, after its launch weekend, we will get an announcement that the reason Taika Waititi has been having so many conversations with Marvel lately is because the third one of those series is going to be a Valkyrie series that also features Corgan yeah. Meek. Yeah. That is what's going to happen. There's 100% going to be a Valkyrie series. Clearly. Because where, where has she been? Yeah. You yeah. need to explain where she, I mean, that series can literally open with her and Corgan Meek taking refugees off the Thor's ship. Yeah. That'd you know, be amazing. Uh, literally minutes before the opening of Infinity War. Yeah. That's how you open that series. It'd be like the opening of Deep Space Nine, the Battle of yeah. War 359, you know? Um, I would watch a whole Korg show. Yeah, you would. I mean, I could absolutely see a Valkyrie series that plays like Xeno Warrior Princess in space with Korg and Meek as her comic relief sidekicks. That'd be amazing. Made by Taika Waititi for $150, $200 million. You give yeah. me that, I mean... Yeah, I will. I will pay this five room for whatever. Also, what are the odds of a Jeff Goldblum cameo in there? That's gonna happen because they're like best friends as well. <laughs> yeah, do, do you follow Taika Waititi on Instagram? I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah they're good friends, aren't they're they? Really good friends because so, they're about um, as wacky as each other. That's why. Yeah, um, I think this is going to be close. We get to a standalone Hulk. Yep, I'm thinking that as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking that could happen. I'm I mean, down for that. Yeah, absolutely, it, it absolutely could. But uh, what else? I mean, there's, there's so much you could do. I mean, money, I, I'd give my left ne- left leg for a uh, for a Hawkeye series now. I mean, if well, we that's, can, that's the one that I think is yeah. is a definite. Just give me an adaptation of Matt yeah. Fraction's Hawkeye series. Adapt it however you need to adapt it to yeah. work with the films. Fine. And, I, and I'd rather have a Black Widow show than I would a. I would a film. I would. I mean, it'd be, it, if you do it as a show, then you wander perilously close to something like Alias, I think. But uh, yeah. But again. There is so much room in the mold Loads. for that. So, yeah. and also it's Black Widow. You can still do something fun with it. There are so many badass characters in this MCU that could have their own thing. They could. And if that's the model going forward, then we have finally reached the dream. Cause this is clearly <laughs> yeah. where this was going to have to go. Yeah. And you think of the comic storylines that you never, you'll never get to never. see otherwise. Yeah. And imagine a Shuri series and. 
I mean, I think that's the Dora Majay series. Um, yeah, that can happen. Yeah, I mean, that'd be... Uh, Danny Guerrero leading a series in which he commands like a SWAT team of Dora Majay who just go around the world fixing problems from a Quinjet. Have you seen now that um, Funko Popper releasing a pop where it's a it's a guy but you can take her with her? <gasps> no way, really? Yeah, I'm buying that. I've got it's to amazing. buy that. That is amazing. Yeah, she's oh, got really? the red dress and everything, and then <laughs> the wig comes off. She got, does she come with the staff? Because yeah. I love that staff. Yeah. Um, her flipping so through the air, one. by the way, and landing on the door in Black Panther is my favourite moment of that movie. It's just badass. It's just badass, isn't it? Yeah. But that is it. That is that is the future. The future is rosy. Marvel have got it. Disney Play, Disney Life, whatever it's going to be called, can just have my money now. I mean, I mean, you've got John Favreau's Star Wars series on top of that. As That's well. uh, yeah, and then the Lady in the Tramp. Oh and... yeah, because I didn't realise that was for this service. Yeah, that's going to be the first like live action redo. Yeah. So we're going to get loads of those. That's so weird. I didn't. I didn't realise that. I thought Lady in the Tramp was theatrical, and no. I didn't. I'd never heard a mention of, of it being for this. I, th- I think there's going to be a call for them to release it theatrically because mm. so many like families are going to want to see it. Well, not only that, but if they do release uh, Lady in the Tramp. Only on their streaming service. Does that not then open them up to the same problem Netflix has? Yeah. Yeah. Which is good luck getting your best adapted screenplay Oscar mm. and your best original song Oscar. And yeah, we have, <clears throat> have, have, apart from original song, are they going to want to do that? And Netflix have actually making real gains in terms of that. They are making gains, yeah. but I, I think it's going to be a bit ne- next year when Roma comes out. Oh, I know. Have you seen the coverage of this thing? Yeah. It's insane. I've seen all the movie marker reviews that we've we've, we've had, and just wow. But uh, it, I just think it's a little bit obnoxious if Disney get to you know wander into the streaming movie empire with with genuine you know good treatment, and the reason they get that is because Netflix put all the work in. Yeah, and they just swan in. Yeah, that is yeah. that is beyond. I mean, I respect the hell, especially out of the port, like but... the partnerships that Disney has had with Netflix in the past. Mm, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's it a seems bit of a fu. Yeah, for the relationship that they've enjoyed, it's always been a really good relationship. Like Disney, Apple, and Netflix have always been a really good sort of tri- sort of trifecta. It's always yeah. been a really good system that works, and this streaming service has always been you know contentious at best. Factor into that, Apple launching their own stuff as well, and that three yeah, that three way partnership shows. is now gone yeah so it kind of sucks and we are going to get to the point in two or three years where you have the Disney service we've obviously got <laughs> Netflix and Prime and then can we just think about your future for a second as well I'm going to pay £200 on all these yeah, streaming services you're going to have a kid as well so yeah. you're going to have like whatever the Nickelodeon service is yeah and, uh, you'll have to have the Disney one obviously and, because like a uh, bunch YouTube of Nickelodeon kids. stuff are not uh, is that one as well now? Uh, yeah, well, Netflix, we've got Netflix. I'm on, I'm on the TV right Netflix now. Netflix Juniors? Netflix, yeah, which, it, which is free. Well, it's, it's part of, what, part of what, it? what you pay for. Yeah, um, yeah. I think there's there's like kids' box sets on Now TV. Same thing for Amazon Prime. Wow. But then, what yeah, I, I think I think we'll probably be paying for the Disney one because it'll come with all the Disney stuff. So that's... What do you currently pay for? This Netflix. You play for Netflix. You don't Prime, but, Prime, I, but I've no. got a student thing, so it's only like right. four quid a month or whatever. These jammy teacher training gates, I tell you. Oh, I know. Teacher training. <laughs> you were student when you were when you were saying you were student when you were good point. Teacher, yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Uh, now TV. Mm-hmm. That's it. What do I pay for? I pay for uh, Netflix, Amazon Prime, Now TV, and Mubi. Oh, you pay you pay for Mubi. I pay for Mubi as well. How much is Mubi? Uh, is it seven quid? 
So it's work, I, to be honest, I do it mostly for, it's for reviews. Because there are certain things that go exclusive to Mubi, etc. Also, yeah. also, I'm just putting it out there, Mubi have Suspiria. So, yeah. you know, I'm going to need that in a month anyway. Because <laughs> that's supposed to be amazing. Is that not, well, it's, it's Amazon as well. Oh, it's Amazon? It's Amazon Studios. Yeah, I thought Mubi would distribute it. Or is, or am I getting the film wrong? The sub, what's the one? No, I'm sure it's Mubi. I'm sure it's Mubi. have got Suspiria. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so, the future's bright, the future's streaming. Here it is, your moment of cage. He was so obsessed with his lizards. All he wanted was to photograph the lizards. He never wanted to put me in a close-up. He photographed everybody else in close-up, but not me. But I remember, to my relief, a few fans were there. And they said, Nick, can we please have a picture with you? And they got right there, and I said, sure, honey. And we took a great picture again. I said, you see, Werner? Some people do want me in a close-up. 